You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Friday, October 7th. It's been another busy week in digital assets. What's the latest in the markets? Are there any crypto CEOs left? Regulation. When will it happen? Unclear. Here to help me break down the news is Bloomberg crypto editor Beth Williams. This market is here to stay in one form or another and that there's money to be made from it. And Bloomberg reporter Alison Versbrill. We have so many different regulatory bodies, different agencies that want a piece of the crypto pie. Beth, Allison, so good to have you back on the show. So as usual, it's busy. <laughs> story, pretty much the story of our lives. You know, we we wake up, we record podcasts, we firefight whatever's happening in markets, we, we write some stories, we, we do some stuff. Beth, what has been going on? Because I feel like in preparing for this episode, trying to read everything that we published, then I gave up because it was too much stuff. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, we are... Still in the midst of crypto winter, quote unquote, which I describe as there was a big steep decline in prices that we saw earlier in this year as the Fed was raising rates. And then we saw these follow on effects of several crises hitting between Terra, Three Arrows, hedge fund collapsing, Celsius, bankruptcy. And now we're at the point where the market is sort of bottomed out, sort of uh, treading water. Yes, (laughs) treading water. And meantime, we're seeing these bankruptcies play out and liquidations. We haven't seen any further damage in terms of contagion. We're keeping an eye out on it. And kind of in a funny note, even though the market is sort of treading water, we've sort of prepared ourselves for a next leg down, if there is a next leg down in uh, particularly Bitcoin, which is the big kahuna of crypto. But it hasn't happened. So there is a growing sense that perhaps we've reached a bottom, that the shakeout has happened. And so we've seen Bitcoin, again, the, the main crypto that, that people really focus on, kind of center around this $20,000 level. It also, at times, it, it had been highly correlated with risk assets, particularly tech stocks. We've seen that break apart a little bit. And kind of, it seemed to go its own way. Again, some of the, the gyrations that the stock market has been through in recent weeks, you could argue the crypto market had already done in June, July, etc. 
So we're kind of at this stage where we're sort of watching the effects of earlier this year sort of play out to sort of the next level, as it were. The absence of retail, the absence of the individual investor is what's sort of keeping the market from rebounding. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's hit a bottom, but it's not necessarily rebounding at this point. You know, we were talking to one of our other editors earlier before we recorded this episode, Philip Lagerkranzo, who, of course, has been on the show. And he was making kind of a, a football analogy. And I use football in the appropriate non-American sense of, I suppose you'll call it soccer, where the idea is that, you know, it's crypto has been like a game of two halves this year, where in the first half of the year it was like up, down, 20 percent, whatever, it's chaos. And then the second half of the year, it's just been like, hmm, <laughs> it's just the occasional breakout, but not a lot of really intense volatility. What I'm hearing from you is what people are starting to say is that if there is a breakout, it'll be to the upside of 20,000 rather than below. It seems that way. I think just 19 and a half was the where it hit in maybe July. It gets down to that level and it seems to, to find some support. There don't seem to be any major systemic, for lack of a better word, further clouds on the horizon. Of course, you know, never say never and all that <laughs> kind say, of stuff. Sure? That's the worst thing I could possibly <laughs> say, I bet. But another interesting thing that I'm that I'm noticing during this period after this bit of upheaval, there's been a bit of turnover in the upper management across a lot of major crypto firms for a lot of different reasons. And I was looking back at our headlines since, I don't know, since the summer or so. And there have been at least two dozen moves either upper management leaving or someone coming onto a firm. That's a bit of movement in the top echelons of firms from FTX, which is the big crypto exchange, to Celsius, which is bankrupt and kind of going through a, a reorganization, so perhaps not surprising there, and also has some, some legal clouds over it, mm -hmm. to something like uh, Kraken, which is another exchange where a founder has stepped aside and are letting in other types of management. Perhaps if the market is going higher from here, if the market is going to gain more mainstream adoption, does it require new leadership? Does it require a different kind of management? Does it require more governance? And so you're, you may be seeing just a reorientation, knowing that the crypto market may be going into a new phase of its maturity or of its evolution. The other big backdrop there is regulation. Right. With all the, the turmoil that happened and great loss to individual investors, really bringing home that investor protections are sorely lacking in crypto. There has definitely been a sense that regulation is something that has to be figured out. One of the things that I am finding slightly, shall we say, wacky, about regulation in the U.S. right now is we have all of these issues that, Beth, you've just described, you know, significant losses to individual investors and, you know, retail traders in particular. You have fairly serious allegations of mismanagement to criminality at different types of entities, you know, funds, companies, etc. You have multiple people in the field kind of clamoring for clarity around the next steps for regulation. And then you have Kim Kardashian. <laughs> and I'm like, 
of all of the regulatory priorities in the world, why is fining Kim Kardashian $1.26 million at the top of anyone's list? Alison, I'm going to ask you that question. <laughs> so in, in talking with uh, attorneys and former regulators, I mean... This kind of case is, you know, probably on the on the SEC's list for a number of reasons, right? It's relatively a slam dunk. It was kind of an easy case of, you know, you touted uh, this particular token and you didn't disclose that you were paid for that promotion. We've seen the SEC go after other celebrities like boxer Floyd Mayweather and music producer DJ Khaled. Um, so it's well known <laughs> that this is the SEC's stance and you know, what they win here is that this is a very big name. Pretty much, I think everyone pretty much knows who Kim Kardashian is. They also are levying uh, by far the largest fine we've seen, you know, almost $1.3 million. Mm -hmm. from, from the folks that I talked to, it's basically just sending a message, right? You know, we've given you fair warning that you can't do this. Now we're showing you that we aren't afraid to levy these even larger fines on you. So, you know, kind of knock it off. And, and the reason we're probably seeing cases like this and maybe not some other cases against, say, exchanges where the SEC has consistently said that a lot of these exchanges are, you know, listing securities and so that they need to be registered with the agency. I think we are not seeing really as many of those cases because those are more difficult to prove, especially if you have a lot of high power attorneys sort of arguing against each individual token and saying, uh, these are the reasons we don't think it's a security. So I think that's why we're seeing this kind of case come out. Well, to your point, all fair and legitimate points, I will concede. We're seeing this kind of case come out, but what we're not seeing is policy, right? We're, we're, we're seeing kind of enforcement of policies that already exist or that the SEC will already exist. So in this case, there is a Securities Act that says if you tout something that looks like a security or that we've defined as a security, not only do you have to disclose that you are doing some touting, that you're getting kind of material compensation for this, but you're supposed to go into kind of a level of detail that hashtag ad <laughs> does not quite fly by in terms of things that you're putting on your, on your Instagram. But we're not seeing significant movement in legislation. We're not seeing significant movement, as you've reported on this podcast and in other places in, you know, like the issues related to the executive order of different agencies kind of coming out and saying, OK, this is specifically what we're going to be looking at. Here's concrete next steps. What is causing this relative lack of inaction on the policy and legislation side of the House? So there are several things at play. On the agency side, we have so many different regulatory bodies, different agencies that want a piece of the crypto pie. And it's not necessarily clear, you know, which assets fall under which agency's jurisdiction. I think stable coins are a, a good example of this. You know, the SEC has previously said that in some cases, stable coins might be securities. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission has said that sometimes they might be commodities. And then we know the banking regulators are interested in them. So, you know, I think I think it's just the fact that so many people want to be involved. So many people may have jurisdiction. And then on the legislative front, I think we're just seeing uh, what we know has been an issue over the last several years, right? Congress is getting more partisan. It's harder to pass big pieces of legislation. 
This year in particular, we have the upcoming midterm elections. So kind of there's a point in Congress where everyone shifts focus and uh, shifts it away from from policy to, you know, getting reelected. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different things at play. And then also on the legislative front, there are still some substantive issues that, you know, these different committees have to hash out. For instance, on the stablecoin bill, I've talked to folks who have said, you know, there's still a question of how much of a role state regulators should be able to play in overseeing stable coins. There's some disagreement about whether non-banks uh, should be able to get access to Federal Reserve master accounts. Mm-hmm. So these are, you know, they're not necessarily easy issues to parse through. And now we have a very limited time left on the congressional calendar to get through those issues. So it's starting to look less and less likely that we'll see something this year, though people are still pretty optimistic for next year on the legislative front. We'll be right back with more of the week's top crypto stories with Bloomberg reporter Alison Versprill and Bloomberg editor Beth Williams. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. At the beginning of 2020, which was kind of when wow. I started I, I covering like crypto full time. 15 years ago, as far as I'm yes, concerned. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime. <laughs> but uh, at the beginning of 2020, I mean, I remember there was so much optimism that 2020 is going to be the year of regulation, the year of legislation. And, you know, here we are in October and we still haven't really seen all that much progress. So I think the fact that we've actually started to see some pretty substantive proposals, the fact that there is some bipartisan interest... I, I can see some of the reasons for optimism, but I, I think we'll have to see mm-hmm. how things go. And it will also depend on how the midterm elections shape up and what the makeup of Congress is next year. You know, do we have a Republican Congress and a Democratic president? And what does that mean? I think some of the losses we've seen this year did create some urgency. The stablecoin bill, again, I mean, I guess I'll point out that that bill has not even been released. It's still being drafted. Um, we've seen some drafts floating around. But there was some additional urgency after, you know, Terra USD collapsed. I do think, unfortunately, the further we get from that incident, 
the less it's on people's minds and maybe it stops being as much of a driver for legislation. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked to folks who have worked in this area for a long time that were that are essentially, you know, it kind of takes a crisis for, for Congress to act quickly. So, you know, do we need another Terra situation before this becomes a, a serious uh, consideration? And of course, you also have a Congress that in addition to thinking about midterms is thinking about, oh, I don't know, nuclear war. So the <laughs> the list of priorities ahead of crypto at this moment seems seems quite long and quite important from a global death perspective, I would say. Right. And I think there are some, too, who say, you know, look, the banking sector, the traditional financial sectors haven't gotten that involved in crypto yet. So there's been a limited amount of contagion into those industries, which you can be sure if there was kind of a knock-on effect to traditional finance and it was having a big, broad effect on the economy that people would be a little bit more concerned about it. But we're not necessarily seeing that yet. But some people are concerned. You've been reporting that the FSOC, which I'm going to ask you to explain because I can never remember what that acronym is for, um, has expressed some concern about contagion and stability risks. Yes. So the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is led by the Treasury Department, they did put out a report this week and they did talk about the potential financial risks. But they mentioned, you know, like this becomes more of a risk the more that banks and some of these other traditional players get involved, kind of the more consumers are exposed to this. So, you know, it's something to keep an eye out for going forward and it could become a big problem down the road. And so to that effect, uh, they talked a little bit about the risks in this report, and then they also offered some recommendations for legislation that they would like to see Congress act on. And Beth, just kind of like throwing back to you, you know, we've got potential ongoing consumer crisis in crypto. We have this increasingly stressed macroeconomic environment, like, you know, the R word for recession is being thrown around a lot. Is that affecting anybody's optimism about, you know, as you as you called it, like the big kahuna of crypto Bitcoin, but more broadly about where the market might go? I think that macroeconomically, if you're talking about sort of the sloshing around of liquidity, the very ultra, ultra low rate environment, even the covid relief that came out, there was just a lot of of money that people had to spend. There was excitement around crypto rates were really low again. For a lot of people, it was sort of a fun experiment. This has taken that part of the market out, the rising rates, other risk markets down, and now things becoming more expensive. Inflation is is out there. I do think that there is a, a, a damper put on the general enthusiasm around this market. But I also think at the same time that, you know, we keep reporting You know, week after week, there's a steady drumbeat of institutions and banks that are getting involved in small ways at first, you Mm -hmm. know, custody or through derivatives rather than, you know, the actual coins. And I think that's something to watch. I do think that there's a sense among the, you know, what you would call TradFi, which is the traditional finance, that this market is here to stay in one form or another, and that there's money to be made from it. And that's where you may see the beginnings of a true recovery. And then, you you know, retail can be fickle. Those customers will come back too. But a market that used to be dependent 
very much so on retail. Maybe the the recovery this time will not come from the individual. It will come from these institutions actually coming on board. And again, regulation will have to play a part in that. The great institutional wave that people have been talking about since 2020. (laughs) Another thing we'll just have to see. Well, you know, thank you very much to you both. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm sure I'll have you both back. And good luck with all the things, including Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having us. Take care. You can find more of their reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com or on Twitter. Beth is at BWillyLoo. That's B-W-I-L-L-I-L-I-O-U. And Allison is at Ali Versprill. That's A-L-L-Y-V-E-R-S-P-R-I-L-L-E. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, it used to be all of, say, a year ago, that if you worked on Wall Street and were looking for a change, then a crypto startup was the go-to place to head over to. Now, as prices fall and sentiment declines right along with those prices, these buzzy crypto companies are laying off staff, including those new hires. And what are those staffers doing? Heading right back to where they came from, Wall Street. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Sharon Barrero. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend. hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.